Okay, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We're on page 110 in our liturgy books. 110 in the liturgy books. Okay, at this point, we are just before glory and honor. So at this point, the priest has chosen the bread, or the lamb, as we call it. He's chosen the lamb. And um, he has, uh, uh, as we said last week, he's put some water on his hands. And as his hands are wet, he has held the lamb in his hand. And he said the, um, the prayer on page 109, 110, when he remembers people by name. After that, he wraps the lamb in a silk veil, the one that he used before. Okay. And he stands at the door of the altar at the sanctuary and he holds up the lamb while the deacons are behind him holding the wine they're holding the wine with a candle like so okay and the person behind them is holding water with a candle and then they do the, the priest will say a prayer and then after the prayer they will do a procession okay so this is the first um the first public or out loud words that the priest says. So remember, at this point, if, if you look, like we finished matins, but in terms of the divine liturgy, so far all that's happened is that the, the congregation is saying a hymn while the priest um, prepares the altar. Then they pray the hours. And of, like, so during the hours, the priest will introduce each hour and he'll say different parts. And then he'll choose the lamb. And then we get to page 110. So as he's holding the lamb, he says the following. Glory and honor, honor and glory to the All-Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, the first thing that the priest does is a glorification of the Holy Trinity. So if you have your own liturgy book and you're putting a little triangle next to every time that you see the Holy Trinity, at least half a dozen times so far. Okay? The first thing, the priest sets the scene for what the liturgy is about. Glorifying the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, Peace and so the next part is a bit unexpected, but we'll talk about that in a sec. Peace and edification to the one only holy Catholic and Apostolic Church of God. So we have the Holy Trinity, then we have the Church. What's happening there? And then he speaks about the gifts. Remember, O Lord, those who have brought to you these gifts, those on whose behalf they have been brought, and those by whom they have been brought. Give them all the heavenly reward. So last week we looked at the gifts and the prayer of the offertory, so we won't look at that today because we've got a lot to fit in. And the deacon then gives you an instruction. He says, pray for these holy precious gifts, our sacrifices, and those who bring them, Lord, have mercy. All right. So what's the connection, or what could a connection be between glory and honor, honor and glory to the all-holy trinity, the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, and then peace and edification to the one only holy Catholic and apostolic church? All right. So if we look at how we understand the church, there are a few ways of how we could understand the church. Two common ways that people look at the church is through a Trinitarian lens and through a Eucharistic lens. We'll look at the Eucharistic lens in about two weeks' time. Let's look at the Trinitarian lens. Okay. If we look at the Holy Trinity, you have one God, okay, one essence, but you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. One essence, three persons. You could say the one and the many. Okay? One essence, many persons. In this case, three persons, right? The church is a image or an icon of the Holy Trinity. We are one church, many persons. Okay? That's one connection that we could draw from that phrase. Right? How does the three persons of the how do does do how do the three persons of the Holy Trinity exist? They exist in communion, what we call canonia. Hence the church being an image of the Holy Trinity can be understood in terms of canonia. Now what is canonia? It's a word that we use a lot, it's a word I use a lot. What does it mean? Canonia doesn't mean socializing. Okay? Canonia doesn't mean socializing. Canonia means communion. Right? I'll read to you a few things from last week's handout. Um, 
you might not have it, which is okay, but just for, the, um, just for our memory, okay? The church can be primarily understood in terms of kanonia, in communion with God himself and among each other. Such an approach suggests that the church is by definition, so listen to this, the church is by definition incompatible with individualism. Her fabric is communion and personal relatedness. So the church is incompatible with individualism. So this really challenges the idea of I come to church, I pray, I mind my own business and I leave. That really challenges that, right? Question is, why is it that way? Why can't I mind my own business? Because Kenonia needs to be seen as stemming from God himself, who is in his very being Kenonia. Kenonia highlights both communion of humankind with God and humankind with each other and the whole world. We call this vertical and horizontal Kenonia. So, for example, the four of us walk into church, right? Jim has communion, Eva has communion, Mars has communion, I have communion. We all connect with God. We're all in communion with God. But now we're also in communion with each other. That's called horizontal canonia. Okay? What does this mean practically? Right? What does this mean practically? If you look at the um, at the uh, if you look at the Last Supper, at what which context did Christ give communion? What were they doing? Eating a meal, right? When you eat a meal, especially at that time, what does that say? Well, do you remember when Christ was um, when the when they made fun of Christ because he ate with tax collectors and sinners? It's a big deal of eating with tax collectors and sinners. You're sitting at the same table. You're sharing from the same dish. It's like you're saying, oh, we're on the same level. He said, how can you, being a teacher, eat with tax collectors and sinners? But that's really important. That we call table fellowship. And then you look at the Last Supper. And in the context of a meal, Christ gives the Eucharist and says, take, eat, take, drink. And then you get to the early church. You get to the writings of St. Paul. And St. Paul tells people that they're approaching communion in an unworthy manner. What does he mean by that? Some people... Has everyone got a handout, by the way? If you haven't got a handout, uh, Sabina will give you one. Some people looking at the historical context of what St. Paul was writing was saying that people were actually coming to church unprepared or to communion unprepared because at the time, we used to come to church and we used to eat a meal first. That's called the agape meal, the love meal. Then after that, we would go and have communion. Yeah, People would come to the agape meal either really full, a bit drunk, sit in their cliques. So they're approaching the Eucharistic table in an unworthy manner because how they just conducted themselves doesn't fit with what this table is about, which is canonia. Fast forward a few more centuries, the church has decided to flip the order. So have communion first. So fast before, be prepared. Don't put anything in your tummy. And then have communion. And then after communion, eat together. And where do you see that very clearly? You see that in the monasteries, for example, in Egypt, in, if you go to the Bonamos monastery, you enter the church from here, you turn left, or you could go from here, but say enter from here, you turn left, you're looking at the sanctuary, keep going, you end, at the ref- end up at the refectory where you ate a meal, right? Uh, Amber Pafanius, when he was here a few weeks ago in his presentation, which some of you attended, he outlined how Father Matan Miskian when he um, revitalized the monastery of St. Macarius, that he um, brought back the Agape meal every day. And his, uh, he, his words were, he showed that, or he reminded us, that the Agape meal is an extension of the liturgy. And he gave a story. He said that when he was a monk, when he was a brother, sorry, he saw a monk after the liturgy and went up to him and said, Hey, Abuna. And that monk just stood there silent. He didn't reply to him. So he was a bit taken back. Okay, he's ignoring me. Then they went to eat and they ate. And the way that they do it at their monastery is they say a prayer. They, the abbot stands, he reads from the Desert Fathers. And then they eat a meal and they stand up and they pray and they leave. As soon as they finished eating and they stood up, that monk who ignored him came up to him and said, Sorry, Brother Fulan, um, the liturgy hadn't finished. It's now finished. So in, in their mentality, the meal that you have after the liturgy is actually a continuation of what we're doing. Right. Sorry, 
Yeah. No idea. I, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> but it's, not, it's definitely not ideal. The ideal thing is that you come to church, or we come to church, we have communion at the altar, and then we have communion at another table, which is the Agapi table. That's where us as a parish get to sit opposite each other face to face, not standing up in a rush, face to face, sitting down. That's, that's what the message is. That's why the church... Uh, uh, early on did it they would sit down face to face and some churches still do that and to varying degrees yeah yeah where oh, I used to do that here yeah the sandwich thing I'm, I'm not too sure I don't know anyone been over, I, I think I've been overseas to one church and they still had the whole sandwich thing but sandwich is okay like I think the ideal like it's nice to look at the ideal sitting down on a table Look at it like this, right? Imagine I was from New York and I came here because I've, I've got a new job and I don't know anyone. Right? I'm in my 30s. I don't know anyone. I come to church on Sunday. I have communion. Someone sees me. Hi, how are you going? Are you new here? Yeah, hi. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, yeah, good, good. All right, see ya. I'm gone. Compare that to you. You've grown up in this church. You, you know people, right? You have someone to connect with. Yeah, there might be a couple of people that might like put in a bit more effort. I might be lucky enough for someone to connect with me. But wouldn't it be nice if we all sat down at a table face to face and I was committed to like a 20 minute session? Travis? Thank you, Travis. Um, so, what that's, if you want to see a beautiful example of this, is um, in a Greek monastery in Mount Athos, the way that it's designed, you have, for example, you have the church building here, right? And the altar's here, and the aisle in the middle here, but this is the altar. And then you've got a courtyard, and then another building here, right? That's where they eat. And there's a corridor here, there's little tables on either side for the monks to sit, and then there's the head table. And what happens on feast days and Sundays is everyone will rush out, find their place, and then the Archimandrite, with a certain vestment on, will walk from this table, the altar table, with the two candles and censers, in a procession with hymns from one table to the other table, vested, and he'll sit down and eat. And if you open all the doors, which they don't do, but if you did open all the doors simultaneously, he will sit at one table and be looking at the other table, reminding that this is just a continuation of that. And they'll sit down and they'll have hymns and incense and 
robes and candles and everything because they see that as a continuation. If you want to look at it in a, even to one a further uh, example, you could see that, you know, we call the family a mini church, right? The church gathers around the table, okay? So you, we, we come here when a husband and wife, when two people come together to get married, where do they get married? At a table, okay? They kneel in front of the table. The first thing they do together is have a meal. Like in the original, right? You would have, you would have your marriage before the liturgy. So the first thing you would do as a couple is have the Eucharist, okay? Have food, body and blood of Christ. So there's the one table, the altar table. Then we've got the agape table. And then you've got your table at home as a family. And as a family, we come to this table every Sunday, reorient how, what the table is supposed to be about. We're all equal. We're on one level. I'm supposed to give my life for the other. And you just rinse and repeat for your whole life. From one table to another. That's where we could see the um, living out of Canonia. If you want to even take it one more, one more step further, then you share a table with people at work, friends, people that just you meet randomly. That's the ideal, right? The interesting thing is, there was several studies done in the last 20 years about what keeps young people in church, right? Obviously, the first answer is family. Easy. Every single study found that family is the number one influencer on a person's spirituality. Then there were no, another few things. One of the top factors is the presence of a, worship, of a community of faith, where you get to see faith lived out. This uh, thread of community was through most studies, right? Interestingly, Sunday school and youth ministry, youth meetings, didn't feature in any of the top five or top ten. What Sunday school and youth meetings do is they give us that environment to have those things. What's the moral of the story? According to one author, if the family operated properly and if the church operated properly, as in you have this, then the uh, meal after and it was how it's supposed to be, then you could actually get rid of Sunday school and you could get rid of youth meeting and you'll find that the community is still worshipping and living out the way they're, they're supposed to. Just an interesting point. But I know I could get carried away with this topic, so I'm going to hold there. Okay, let's get out our handouts for today. Number three. Okay. So, on the first page, I've listed some quotes, which I won't read. Something for you to read at home. It just talks about um, the importance of the Coptic liturgy in preserving our identity. Okay. We could turn the page. All right. So then... If we go to page 111, the deacons say, pray for these holy precious gifts, our sacrifices and those who bring them. Lord have mercy. Turn the page. After that, the people respond with a psalm. Right? If it's a non-fasting day, on Saturdays and Sundays, non-fasting day, and some other exceptions, you could see that in the, in the red. They say this psalm, Alleluia, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, straighten our ways. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Alleluia. On the fasting days, except the weekdays of the Great Lent and Jonah's fast, and on Saturdays and Sundays during the Great Fast, they say this psalm, Alleluia, the thought of man shall confess to you, O Lord, and the remainder of thought shall keep a feast to you. The sacrifices and the offering receive them to yourself. Alleluia. During Great Lent and Jonah's fast, we do this psalm. Alleluia, I will go into the altar of God, to God who gladdens my youth. I will confess you with the harp, O God, my God. Remember David, O Lord, and all his meekness. Alleluia. Meantime, meanwhile, the, as, the, as the deacons say that response, as the people reply, the, the priest holding the, um, the lamb up high and the deacons behind him, holding the wine up high like this and the water, do a procession around the altar as they, um, as the, as they say those responses. And once he gets here, he crosses the people and turns around and faces the east. Then he unwraps the veil, places the lamb on the veil, while the two deacons place, while holding place the wine and the water here. 
Okay? And then, again, he blesses the chosen gifts in the name of the Holy Trinity. If you look at page 113, he goes in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, while holding the Lamb, close to the bread and wine. Blessed be God, the Father, the Pantocrator, Amen. The deacons reply, Amen. Blessed be His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. Deacons reply, Amen. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, Amen. Deacons reply, Amen. Again, what has He done? Glorification of the Holy Trinity. And how does the deacon reply to the glorification of the Holy Trinity? One is the Holy Father, one is the Holy Son, one is the Holy Spirit, Amen. He replies to with a glorification of the Holy Trinity. Blessed be the Lord God forever. And then a psalm. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples. For his mercy has been strengthened towards us. And the truth of the Lord abides forever. Amen. Alleluia. Meanwhile, the priest will pour the wine into the chalice. And then fill up up to a third of the cruet with some water. Swirl it around. And then pour water into the chalice. Okay, wine and water. Christ's side, blood and water. That's why we do that. Okay, And then the people reply to this glorification with the Holy Trinity on page 116 with another glorification of the Holy Trinity. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Alleluia. Okay. Then the priest says, Ishlil, which in English is, let us pray. But sometimes he adds a word at the end of it. He might say, Ishlil Eflogison. Eflogison means bless in the singular. So he's praying. So if there's another priest with him, if there's one priest, he'll be like, Ishlil Eflogison. It's like he's telling the priest, you bless. So it's like, let us pray, bless. So he'll look, he'll look at the other priest and he'll be like, Eflogison, bless. And then the other priest will reply to him and say, Enthok Eflogison, you bless. Okay? It's like a formal itfaddal. Yeah? <laughs> okay? If it's more than one priest, he'll, sh he'll say the plural. Ishli levlogite. Okay? I'm pronouncing it probably not correctly. The, you could, vlogite is probably the right way. Um, Jim's Greek, so he could correct my Greek, <laughs> Greek pronunciation. And then if, he's, uh, if it's more than one priest, he'll be like, Ishli levlogite. And then the other, all the other priests will be like, Enthoki vlogison, you bless. Okay? If it's a bishop and there are priests around, he won't say that. Because the bishop is the higher rank. The priest can never bless in the presence of a bishop. The same way a lay person doesn't bless in the presence of a priest. Right? So, for example, in the liturgy, the priest, the deacon will never say, bless you. He will never cross you. When we come together as a church, a lay person will never invoke the blessing. It's always the person with the higher rank that invokes the blessing. So that's why, for example, when the bishop is present, the priests won't hold a cross. Okay, he, like the priest won't, when you come to greet the priest, he won't take out his cross because the bishop is the higher rank. So he uh, he will bless you with the cross. You could actually have a liturgy with a bishop and a deacon and no priest. The priest doesn't really have a function when the bishop is here. The the priest joins into the praise, but if there's no priest, you could function completely fine. You, you need a deacon more than you need a priest. Um, in the liturgy when there's at least a, a bishop there. I probably didn't mention this before. But when we pray a liturgy, we pray it in a, in, a, in a diocese, under a bishop. Why? Because the bishop is the apostle of that area. Okay? The bishop can't be at more than one place at one time. So what does he do? He ordains priests to pray on his behalf. That's why, for example, if I decided tomorrow to go away to Los Angeles... I can't just go to a church and say, hey, I'm going to join you in prayer. I have to get a letter from my bishop to the bishop or the metropolitan there saying, dear so-and-so, this person is an ordained priest in my diocese requesting permission to participate in the liturgy. And if that bishop gives me permission, then I could vest in white and I could join in the prayers. If I don't have permission, then I stand in black. Okay? Why? Because the priest prays on behalf of that bishop in that area. The bishop is responsible for the canonia in that area. That's his main role. Preserving canonia in the geographical area that he's responsible for. If that means starting more churches, making schools, theological colleges, to preserve the canonia of the faith, then he has to do that. If that means someone giving a wrong teaching about, like for example, like when Arius gave a wrong teaching and the church goes up to them and says, hey, watch out, 
you're teaching wrong and they keep going hey watch out you're 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 dividing the canonia and they keep going and they say you're giving us no choice but to exclude you from that canonia because you're dividing uh, the canonia there so the priest prays on behalf of the bishop of the diocese if there's no bishop of the diocese it comes under the patriarch so areas for example the areas in america or areas in canada or in different parts of the world that don't have a bishop so they come under the patriarch okay and then the uh, the deacon gives you an instruction stand up for prayer and then the priest crosses you peace be with you all and with your spirit and then we pray the prayer of thanksgiving which we all know very well i won't go through that yes Yeah, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that in a second. Very good. Um, Rita's asking, um, the priest stops crossing the people at a certain point and he just steps to the side. That's a really good question. We'll, we'll talk about that um, in, in a second. Okay. Um, on page 120, the last section of the Thanksgiving prayer, the priest says, take them away from us. He bows his head towards the east, signs himself with the cross, turns around, and from all your people... And if it's a liturgy, he'll cross the table and from this table and from this holy place. If it's not a liturgy, if it's Vespers, he would say from this place. If it's Matins, I don't know why, but he adds and from this church and from this place. In a, in a, um, in a wedding, he'll say and from the bride and the groom. In a liturgy of the water, the Latin, he'll say and from this basin or from this, um, I think it's from this basin. Um, so depending on where the Thanksgiving prayer is prayed. This is the prayer that opens up was the opening prayer of nearly all services in the church, including your personal prayers if you're using the Ekbe. And then he finishes off the prayer of thanksgiving. While the people, the people then say the hymn, Sotis. So, well, or if there's a bishop present, if you turn to page 122, they sing this hymn. O oh, all you wise men of Israel, the makers of golden threads, Make a robe for Aaron befitting the honor of the priesthood of our honored father, the high priest, Pope Ava Tawadros, and our father, the bishop, Ava Suriel, the beloved of Christ. Some people say at this point is where the bishop would be vested. That's what I've heard. I haven't read too much about it. Um, but th that's they say because the, the order of the liturgy changed over this, the, the centuries. But because if you look at that passage, it's got to do with vestments. Make golden threads makers of golden threads make a robe so maybe the bishop was vested here in any case during this point the priest or the bishop says a very very important prayer for us today okay we're going to read it together thank you okay so he's standing so imagine i'm imagine this is the altar the chalice is here the the pattern is here right he says, Master Lord Jesus Christ, the co-eternal Logos of the unblemished Father, who is of one essence with Him and the Holy Spirit. For you are the living bread which came down from heaven and formerly made yourself a lamb without spot for the life of the world. We ask and entreat your goodness, O lover of mankind. And then he points at the bread. Show your face upon this bread. And he points at the cup. And upon this cup, which we have set upon, and he points to the table. Upon this, your priestly table. So it goes upon this bread and upon this cup, which we have set upon this priestly table. And then he crosses both gifts at once three times. Bless them, sanctify them, purify them, and key word for us today, and change them. In order that, on the one hand, this bread may indeed become your holy body. And on the other hand, the mixture which is in this cup, indeed your precious blood pointing at himself and may they become for all of us communion healing and salvation for our souls bodies and spirits then he ends as he does with all silent prayers with the glorification to the holy trinity for you are our god and glory is due unto with your good father and the holy spirit the giver of life who is of one essence with you now all times and to the ages of ages amen this prayer we could spend a whole hour on okay very very dense okay let's read under the heading prayer of the offertory he mentions living bread. Reminds us of John 6.51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He then, we then mention the word lamb. 
formerly made yourself a lamb without spot, reminding us of the Passover lamb, which points to Christ. Exodus 12. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. As we say here, a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. Okay? All right. Hold there for a second. Now, this is where we get into the conundrum, and it relates a little bit to what Rita said. I didn't say this the last time we did it, because it's just... Yeah? But <laughs> there's, there's some... I, I met someone earlier this year um, who shared something very interesting as well, which I'll share, but let's try. Okay. We could ask a question, at what point does the bread become wine? Uh, does the bread become body and the wine become blood? And how does that happen? Okay. Is the Catholic Church likes to use the word transubstantiation, okay? And they then we get into debates: Do bread molecules become body molecules? Do wine molecules become blood molecules? What happens if we looked at them under a microscope? At one stage, we got engaged in that discussion, but originally, we never entertained these discussions for a very simple reason: It's it, it, I don't want to be a bit rash about it, so we'll just say it really doesn't matter. Right? Why? Because it's a mystery. What's the word that our liturgy uses? Change. So if someone says to you, what happens to the bread? It changes. Into what? Body. How? I don't know. Why? Because it's a mystery. Prove it. The liturgy says change. End of conversation. <laughs> Very simple. It's a mystery. We're not going to try and analyze it. Explain to me how two people could walk in to get married and they walk out as one flesh. It's not symbolic. We know it's real. Explain to me how someone could be immersed in water three times and they die and live with Christ and they're still breathing. It's a mystery. Is it real? 100% it's real. Why does it disappear? Right now? Well, oh, okay. Sorry, answer the question. Yeah. It is because he said it. And it is true body. We're not, and we're not going to get into debates. If, if we look under the microscope, what are we going to find? We don't know and we don't really care. It is the real body and the blood of Christ because Christ said it is the real body and blood of Christ. Very simple. And is it symbolic? Definitely not from the Orthodox perspective. And that was the witness of all the churches until a few hundred years ago. All the churches witnessed and said, yes, this is the true body and the true blood of Christ. But then we get to the question, when does it change? From what I gather, the Catholic tradition says at the institution, where the priest says, take, eat. In some Orthodox traditions, they say, later on, at the descent of the Holy Spirit. You know when the, we say, worship God in fear and trembling? And you say, we praise you, and everyone's worshipping. The priest silently says a prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to come upon us and upon the gifts. We'll look at that in a few weeks. And some people say, at that point, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. People that have studied the Coptic liturgy always point to this. This is a very unique thing in the Coptic liturgy, which is what? In this part of the liturgy, the priest is invoking Christ to change the body and the blood. How do we know that? Well, look at the beginning of this prayer. Who is he addressing? Oh, Master Lord Jesus Christ, the co-eternal Logos. He's addressing Christ and he's asking Christ to change the bread and the wine into the body and the blood of Christ. Later on, he asks the Holy Spirit to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. This asking of the bread 
and the wine, asking the sun for it to change, is very Alexandrian. It's a very Coptic thing. And you could find it in one of the oldest liturgies in the, in the world, in the church, which is the liturgy of Serapion. And I've got a little handout here if anyone's interested on reading something like on that. So when does it happen? I grew up hearing at the Epiclesis of the Holy Spirit. So when, but more recently, when speaking to people like Father Gregorius, who's done his PhD on the Eucharist, Bishop Epiphanius, uh, Father Athanasius at his monastery, who's a liturgical scholar, they all say from the Coptic understanding, we don't pinpoint a time. We say it's a gift. Once it's on the altar, don't get technical. Then we ask the question, then why does the priest move to the side only after that? Good question. In January, I ran into a priest in Egypt his, um, who's really, really well learned in all these things. He gave me this handout. And he pointed out something to me. What did he point out? So we're going to get a bit technical, but let's try. If you look at the liturgy of St. Basil and St. Gregory, they follow a similar structure. In what way? Creed, prayer of reconciliation, anaphora, holy, holy, uh, institution narrative, descent of the Holy Spirit, worship God in fear and trembling, and then the litanies, peace of the church, the patriarch, the salvation of the world, the commemoration of the saints, the fraction, and then communion. But then you look at the liturgy of St. Cyril, and it's a different order altogether. You get the creed, the prayer of reconciliation, the Lord be with you, and then all of a sudden, you're saying litanies, the sick, the travelers, salvation of the world. Then you're in the commemoration of the saints. And like the first time you attend the liturgy of St. Cyril, like, wow, this is confusing. Commemoration of the saints is supposed to come after. Why is it coming now? And then you have all these litanies, heaps of them. And then, holy, 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 the institution, take, eat, take, uh, drink. Then the fraction, then communion. What's the sm slight difference here, the major one? The litanies in St. Cyril are before the descent of the Holy Spirit. The litanies in the other liturgy are after the descent of the Holy Spirit. Why? St. Cyril's is, was the liturgy written by St. Mark. This is a very Alexandrian liturgy, a very Coptic liturgy. St. Basil and St. Gregory have had, apparently, some Byzantine influence. Okay? A more authentic liturgy is the liturgy of St. Cyril. In the other two liturgies, you pray the litany after the descent of the Holy Spirit because Christ is on the altar. So what are you going to do? Start asking. Remember the love of the peace of the one holy church. Remember our patriarch. But for St. Cyril's liturgy, because it's the more original Coptic liturgy, We've already asked for Christ to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood. So we don't have to wait until later on to ask. We're going to ask now. That's why we say the litanies. Does that make sense? Did I lose everyone? They say, according to th this priest that we were speaking to earlier in the year, that the epiclesis of the Holy Spirit, which comes later, came later on in the church when there was the controversy or the, around the Holy Spirit. Now then you may ask, why does the priest then cross throughout the liturgy. Well, if you want the answer to that, you need to go to the liturgy of St. Cyril. So we're going to turn to the end of our... We're going to, you're going to do that thing where you put your hand in one part of the book and then in another part. So everyone go to these pages. Page 184, put one hand there. Page 100 and... Page 100, 265, put your hand there. And then your third hand <laughs> will go. So 184, 264, and 264. Oh, this is wrong. Forget it, sorry. The, this, this, this one doesn't have the right rubric. If you look at a more authentic literature book, like the older ones, You'll see something interesting. There's instructions. For the liturgy of St. Basil, it says, the priest crosses the people while saying, the Lord be with you all. In the liturgy of St. Gregory, it says, the priest crosses the people while saying, the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, and the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You come to the liturgy of St. Cyril, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say cross the people. Why isn't it saying cross the people? Because in the original Alexandrian rite, Christ is there. So there's a bit of a mismatch happening. Yeah? Then I asked the priest the question. I go, then why are we giving a sermon if Christ is there? And they say, 
Good point. Because that part used to come a bit later. Interesting. The, ma the moral of the story. Don't reduce the change to a certain part. Number two, consider it. Once it's on the altar, it's a gift. Meaning, we shouldn't ask the question, when is the gospel? The question should be, when is the offertory? Like uh, one of the youth said on Sunday, if you come on time to the liturgy, you're late. If you come early, you're on time. Uh, the original rubrics don't have any mention of crossing yeah. until you get to like one part, Agios, which is a later edition, and the um, Epeclesis, which is a slightly later edition. The other two liturgies came a little bit later, yeah. slightly Byzantine influence. So St. Cyril's is the more Alexandrian liturgy. It's the um, most known tune. It's the, um, they, it's, tune-wise, it's the shortest. But the interesting thing is, on average Sunday, we, we, know, we, don't, play, we don't play the Liturgy of St. Basil according to the Coptic tune. It's a quicker tune. So, traditionally, St. Basil's is reserved for annual days. St. Cyril's is reserved for Lent and possibly Advent. And St. Gregory's is re, um, reserved for feast, feast days. Originally. Mark, you going to ask a question? I asked that same question, and the response I got was, remember that part was added a little bit later. So it's like that part came later in the liturgy. Like it wasn't there until, the, say, the, I think the controversy around the Holy Spirit. What happens? Don't know. Like, because we could then say, then why do we say he took bread into his hands? But what we... what what. What gives us more of a hint that the Coptic Church has considered that at, at least at, at the great one of the Holy Kiss that the, the, the gifts on the altar are the body and blood of Christ can be seen if you look at page Sorry, I know I'm ask, bring, raising more questions than I'm answering but if anyone finds the answer if anyone listening online knows these answers please like I know there's a few studies out there in Arabic on it um, if you look at the liturgy of St. Gregory, um, page 1111. Where's Osbazesti, the big one, Abba? Is it in this liturgy book? I'll have to get it for you because it's not in this liturgy book. But in the great one, another with the Holy Kiss and St. Gregory is the long one. It says, focus your eyes on the altar to see the body and the blood of Christ. So there, there seems to be a hint that it's... 183. 183. Is it the big one? No, it's a small one. Yeah, it's okay. I'll get it for you later. Okay. Just for time. 179. All right, we'll trust you, Abba. 179. Sorry, I took a, a slight detour, but that's okay. All right, yeah. Thank you, Abba. Look what it says here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Lord have mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. O Jesus Christ, Son of God, hear us and have mercy on us. Let us stand well. Let us stand reverently. Let us stand earnestly. Let us stand in peace. Let us stand in fear of God, trembling and stunned. O clergy and all the people with prayer and thanksgiving, with dignity and silence, raise your eyes towards the east to see the altar 
and the body and blood of Emmanuel our Lord placed upon it. This is when? Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's that's it. that's like the, they say on feast days, but it's an it's part of the liturgy of Saint Gregory. They never say it in English. If they get say, it, they usually say it in Coptic because because it has a long um, a longer hymn, like it has a very nice tune. But they never I've never heard it said in English, like in an in an easy to understand way either. Okay, um, we could say a lot about this prayer, especially what it tells us about healing. Um, but for time, we have to keep going. Now, after he says this, he says the absolution inaudibly, without, without um, you hearing. He says the absolution to the Son. You don't have to turn the page, but for those who want to know, it's on page 86. It's the same absolution that the priest says at the end of Vespers, at the end of Maddens, and there's what he says when he places his hand on your head in confession. That same absolution. Okay? And then... He covers the altar with the big cloth, prosperian. He walks around the sanctuary. He prostrates in front of everyone. The de- he f- goes in front of the deacons. I have sinned, forgive me. They reply, I have sinned. Absolutely, so I remember from two weeks ago. And they greet each other. He goes, and then everyone stands outside the sanctuary. And then he says an absolution for the servants. Read page 125. He says, may your servants, the ministers of this day. If there's a higamen, he says, the higamen, or there's many, the higamens, the priest or priests, the deacons, the clergy, and the people, and my weakness. Meanwhile, he's crossing. When he says, my weakness, he crosses himself. If the bishop is present, he says it, but he's the highest rank. If there's priests, one of the priests says it. Be absolved from the mouth of the all-holy trinity, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and from the mouth of thee, one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, the Twelve Apostles. And then he mentions all the saints in this section that are, or all the saints mentioned here are priests or bishops. So they have the authority for absolution, authority from Christ for absolution. Then he finishes. I'll just rush through this part quickly as we get to the sensing. And then he finishes and the people start singing the hymn Tai Shorty found on 131. But I want to focus on what the priest does with the censer. I'm a bit cautious that I've rushed through a bit, bit of it. Do we know where we are? Okay. Um, no, if 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 he's another if, if he's only if he's on his own, he still has to has to say the absolution. But he says from the mouth of the church, the twelve apostles, all the saints. That, not all the saints, saints that are priests and bishops, and then the patriarch, and then the bishop of his diocese. So through their, ma- through their mouth, not through his mouth. But then at the end he says, and from my own mouth being the least. But if he's on his own, it's okay. He could still, he could still do the absolution prayer. And then the priest ascends the sanctuary. The censer is presented to him. Okay? And then the priest blesses the incense box the same way he did in Vespers and Maddens. Name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Any guesses what he'll do? Glorification of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be God, the Father, the Pantocrator, Amen. One. Blessed be His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Two. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete. Three. And two more. Glory and honor, honor and glory. Five. They say, reminding us of the five sacrifices in the Old Testament. Glory and honor, honor and glory. That's five. To the All Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If there's more than one priest, he'll be like, name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Blessed be God, the Father, the Pantocrator, Amen. The next priest will come. Blessed be His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next priest, blessed be His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next priest, blessed be His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next priest, forever. Right? <laughs> if it's a bishop and there are priests, the priest won't bless, but he'll take the incense from the bishop's hand or the bishop will place the incense in his hand, and the priest will put the incense in the censer. So that every priest, because the bishop is like part of the priesthood, so say, if there's a, say a liturgy with the patriarch, 20 bishops, and 300 priests. Technically, everyone there who is part of the priesthood would place incense in the censer. Actually, watch when the Holy Synod all pray together in the cathedral. The deacon standing. All, the Pope and the bishops, by the way, are of the same rank. So the, the Pope won't put in the hands of the bishops. Stand like this, and the bishops will go one, two, and it's like a hundred. 
One, two, three. Okay. And then he stands at the altar. So imagine I'm. So right now he'll be like this. He'll be facing this way, right? He'll offer incense on top. And he'll say, O God, the great, the eternal, without beginning and without end, great in his counsel and mighty in his works, who is in all places and dwells with everyone. Be with us also, O our Master, in this hour, and stand in the midst of us all. Purify our hearts and sanctify our souls. Cleanse us from all the sins we have committed willingly and unwillingly, and grant us to offer before you rational sacrifices and a sacrifice of blessing. Now, at one stage, this obviously used to be out loud, because it says here, the deacon says, pray for the sacrifices and those who have brought it. So he w wouldn't be saying that to himself. He would be saying it to people. The priest and the spiritual incense entering within the veil in the holy place of your holies. And then he goes around the sanctuary, the altar, sorry, three times. There's a diagram of that on this page here. Okay, I'm going to follow the diagram around the altar so you could see what's happening, right? So he'll stand here, number one. Remember, O Lord, who offer incense, the peace of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Meanwhile, what's the deacon doing? He's just holding a cross like this. Why? Because the cross, as we said, belongs to the deacon originally. The deacon uses the cross whenever he's saying a response. This part used to be out loud. So the priest will be, pray for the, remember, O Lord, the peace of your one holy Catholic apostolic church. Originally, the deacon would be in front of him saying, Pray for the peace of the one holy Catholic Apostolic Orthodox Church. Some people walk around with the gospel as well. It's not really accurate. There's no real meaning to walk around with the gospel. You're just supposed to hold the cross as a deacon. They could, although they're not like... I've seen deacons do it, especially in some monasteries. But the interesting thing is they're not like they're saying it to themselves. But they, they could, I guess. Yeah. So, and then as he goes around on this side, he says... This which exists from one end of the world to the other. He's now looking at the people. Remember, Lord, our honored father, the, uh, remember, Lord, the life of our honored father, the high priest, Pope Avatwadros, and his partner in the Apostolic Liturgy, our father, the Bishop Avasurian, goes around in keeping them, keeping them for many years in peaceful times. He's now in front of the old, in, uh, facing the east. Remember, Lord, our assemblies bless them. Grant that may be unto us without any obstacle or hindrance according to your holy and blessed will. This way, houses of prayer, houses of purity, houses of blessing. Grant them to us, O Lord, and your servants will come after us forever. Slightly different translation, but I could point you to this in your book. And then, facing the east, arise, O Lord God, let your enemies be scattered, all who hate your holy name flee before your face. Facing the people, as for your people, let them be in blessings, thousands of thousands, ten thousand times ten thousands doing your will and he kisses the altar okay he's prayed the three litanies the three major litanies which are the peace of the, ch the church the fathers so the patriarch and the bishop and the assemblies this congregation these three litanies appear in every single service that we have in the wedding but they prayed silently in the baptism in the washing of the feet in the and any service the church has in the blessings of homes you do these three litanies, okay? And then he exits the altar. And there's a diagram that I've made for you in this little table. Okay? He senses the east three times. When we say three times, he, this is considered one. That's one. So these three is considered what they say, one hand of incense, right? So it says, we worship you, O Christ, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, for you have come and saved us. And he bows. Then number two. But as for me, in the abundance of your mercy, I will enter your house and bow down and worship towards your holy temple. Second. Third one. Before the angels, I will sing to you and worship towards your holy temple. Third one. Then he turns here and he says, We send you greetings with Gabriel, the angel saying, How to you are full of grace, the Lord is with you. Why would he say that? The icon of the Virgin Mary. Then he turns this way. Hail to the choir of the angels, to my masters and fathers, the apostles. Hail to the choir of the martyrs and all the saints. The saints. Okay? And then, hail to John, the son of Zechariah. Hail to the priest, the son of the priest. Why? John the Baptist. Back. Let us worship our Savior, the good one and lover of mankind, for he has had compassion on us and has come and saved us. Okay? I'm sure you're wondering what Abuna says as he turns around. Now you know. Okay? 
Yeah. And usually, you, you could even replace Christ and throne, because it's in the eastern wall, on the eastern wall, with John the Baptist here. And some people say originally it should just be John the Baptist, not Epiphany. Some people say. And then he offers incense to the gospel, and he says, Hail to the gospel of Jesus Christ, takes the blessing of the gospel, offers incense to any icon of, like if there's a feast day of a saint, and they have the icon out here, like St. George, who offer incense to the icon, take the blessing. And then, he'll, if there's another priest, he'll go and offer incense to that priest, which you've, you've seen in Vespers right now. Do we have time to go through what he says? Eh, why not? Okay. <laughs> go to page. If it's, uh, in this book, they've already covered it in, um, in Vespers and Matins, so they don't repeat it in the liturgy. Go to page 54. Okay, forget the first two sections. If it's a higaman, a higaman means it's supposed to be a rank of priesthood of someone who is like an overseer over like many priests under the direction of the bishop. Okay, would you like a senior priest as a higaman in, the, in a parish? The same word in the monasteries for the ranking of the monks, though. In 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 our monasteries, they give them that title, but it's more honorary. It doesn't really have a an a, a, so it's quite a rank. Yeah, practically it doesn't have a function. Yeah, to call someone a higaman in a monastery. Yeah, so if it's a higaman, he goes up to the higaman and offers him two hands of incense. If he could get them in, because most priests stop you very quickly. He says, "I ask you, my father higaman, to remember me in your prayers, that Christ our God may forgive me my many sins." He opens his hand like this, right, and then the person he's offered incense to goes like this and he reads may the lord preserve your priesthood as he did with melchizedek aaron zachariah simeon priest of the most high god why this i'm not sure i've heard different contemplations like prayers inside prayers on the outside i don't know but they, this is the way of greeting each other okay and sometimes you see it done differently okay, but what i was taught is no. if it's a priest you just offer incense once. I ask you, my father, the priest, to remember me in your prayers. He says, may the Lord preserve your priesthood as he... Same idea. If it's during the liturgy, the priest replies, may the Lord accept your sacrifice as he did with Melchizedek. Okay? Sorry? No, no. <laughs> okay. In the liturgy, at this time, they're singing hymns. And they, might, they may have got to the Pauline epistle. This is called the Pauline circuit because we read the Pauline epistle, right? The priest then goes around the church. He has two options. Option number one, the short circuit or the long circuit? The short circuit. He exits the sanctuary, offers incense this way, gets to this side, stops, turns around, offers incense that way, goes all the way down the aisle, comes back out, goes that way, comes back in. He's done the sign of a cross. The longer circuit. He goes around this way, goes down the middle, around, comes back, back inside. Contemplations. People say infinity. Okay? Practically. Uh, uh, and this, don't ask me about this. Ask Dr. Amir because he's the resident expert on this. He's doing his PhD on someone who had something to do with this. In the Middle Ages, there was a big controversy around confession. Confession was stopped. And people used to confess on the censor. Meaning, as a buna goes around, you whisper your sins. So you had to go around everywhere. How do we, what gives us a hint of that? We'll get to that in a second. But as the priest is doing that, he stops. You would have realized this. He stops here, around here. And you would have realized that he turns around and does the sign of the cross, right? What does he say and why? He offers three hands this way. First one. So around here, which is where Passion Week is held. So all the verses that he says relate to the passion of Christ. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In one hypostasis, we worship him and glorify him. This is he who offered himself as an acceptable sacrifice upon the cross for the salvation of our race. That's a hymn in Coptic, which you all know. It's Phi et of Enf. That's the hymn. Then he turns this way. His good father smelt him in the evening on Gotha. He opened the door, the door of paradise and restored Adam once more to his dominion. Through his cross and his holy resurrection, he returned 
man once more to paradise. Let us worship our Savior, the good and lover of mankind, for he had compassion on us and has come and saved us. Why does he say that? Because that's the place where we pray Holy Week. And then he comes back. When he comes back, he says a prayer, which you could find on page 56. He puts one more, he puts a spoon of incense and he offers incense towards the east, saying, O God, who while on the honored cross, accept the confession of the faith. Thief, accept to yourself the confession of your people. This is a remnant from that time when we used to take confessions around. That's why he's talking about confession. And forgive them all their sins for the sake of your holy name, which is called upon us. Let it be according to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. Okay, so you see that prayer. Why would the priest say accept the confession of your people if he hadn't just had confessions, if he hadn't just taken the confession of the people? Okay. And then he, he goes out, so he offers a hand, goes around the sanctuary, kisses the altar table, does the same four crosses, offers incense to the gospel, offers incense to his serving priests, and then he places the censer back. Okay, I think we should stop. Yes, definitely. So the incense, remember the, the, the psalm in the 12th hour? Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Definitely. Yeah, so I've written a few things of what incense reminds us of on top of this diagram here. Yeah, so this is the, there's two processions. There's the Pauline and the circuit of the Acts. That was the Pauline circuit. The circuit of the Acts comes a bit later, and we'll get to that one is next it week. Was yeah. So the Acts, the Acts circuit only happens here. Was the Act in Acts? They started in Jerusalem, so they, the priestess senses here, and then the Pauline, because Paul went much further, goes out into the whole church. We, the Catholic epistle doesn't have a, a sensing. But again, that's a contemplation. Like, it doesn't say that in the liturgy. In the liturgy, doesn't say an only sense here because of this. They say that th that's, that's possibly where it came from. But there's a, you, you'll see that there's a repetition of certain things. It does exactly the same circuit a few minutes later. So obviously, there, there's been a, a shifting of the, of, the, of the order of the liturgy. Oh, as a blessing. So when, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to do it, but yeah, as a blessing, yeah. I think we'll stop there. I hope it wasn't too complicated. I know I took a bit of a tangent when talking about how the gifts change and when they change, but I think that's, that's, it's nice since we have a lot of time to go through it. There's a few quotes I didn't go through, but you could read that on your own. Um, otherwise, next week, we'll continue with the readings, the reading of the Gospel, the prayer of reconciliation. Any final questions? No? Guram. Yeah, we, we look at two different prostrations, prostrations of worship and prostrations of repentance. Prostration of repentance is what your spiritual father may give you to do at home. Um, prostrations of repentance is what we'll do at the beginning of the Agabaya in church. So when the priest goes to pray of the third hour, if he kneels, that you know it's a, it's a prostration day. But the prostration that we do in front of the altar is a prostration of worship. So on Saturdays, Sundays and, non and feast days, we don't have any prostrations of repentance. In the Holy 50 Days, for example, they're banned. Like, it's like the church is saying, you, there's time for mourn to repent and be mournful. There's time for joy. Yeah? Um, I think John Cassian talks about that. So in those days, in the joyful days, in, non in those Saturdays and Sundays, when they do the Ekbeya, even in the monasteries, he'll say the prayer of the midnight service and everyone's just standing. But when he comes to open the curtain, he'll do a prostration of worship. 
But on fasting days, it will be like the prayer of the midnight service and all the monks and all the people will go down and they'll do a prostration. Question? Uh, Melchizedek, yeah. We, um, we didn't speak about him last week, but maybe we could talk about that just in case people need to go. We'll talk about it at the front if anyone wants to know about Melchizedek because we, um, we skipped him last week. We'll skip that part because of time. Um, before we pray, uh, Jerusalem has kindly brought out some of the books. We have a huge collection of English books to buy that are hidden in the youth house, but Jerusalem has laid them out on the table. So have a look. Um, and see if any of the books um, interest you. Marco, any announcements? And just fellowship in the youth house. Also, um, don't forget that we have the um, uh, the books. Yes, yeah. we have the uh, the um, Nahda in English spiritual revival for Saint Mary's fast. So every evening there are vespers at six thirty and glorification and a sermon. The way will be on next week. I don't think the way after because it's the eve of the feast, so there might be a longer service, so we might have to skip one way. But um, next week will be on. Okay. Let's pray.